Take a deep breath and remember there's a power breathing you. This is your space of sanity in an evolving world where we learn about spiritual law and how to apply it to our lives in a way that is practical and life-changing. This is where we remember truth to make the world a better place one person at a time. I'm Claire Lotier, inspirational speaker, teacher of the technology of transformation, and a certified life mastery consultant and spiritual coach. Welcome to the Grace Space. Today we're continuing in our study and discovery of the universal laws by which this entire creation operates, and by which we ourselves are operating, whether we realize it or not. As human beings, we have the gift of free will, which means we can go against the laws of life, something no other creature is capable of doing. Animals and all other living beings on Earth operate either according to a patterned plan or instinct, and have no choice to do otherwise. They cannot originate thought and create their own conditions. Human beings can. In our case, instinct has been replaced with higher faculties, gifts of grace, and we have six higher faculties that allow us to interface with the universal mind. Now just stop and think about that for a minute, and a sense of wonder and gratitude will come over you to realize that you have access to a mind that knows all things. Actually, your mind is not separate from the mind of God. You think with the mind of God, and there's an unlimited creative power moving to and through you at this very moment. This power is formless, and we get to give it form. And the first form is thought. You have a brain that enables you to toggle from one frequency of thought to another. You can actually choose the thoughts you're going to pay attention to by changing the frequency you're on, just like a radio or a television. This gift, again, belongs to humans alone on our planet. Although we gain a lot of valuable knowledge from what we learn in school, we've been taught very, very little about our higher faculties. We have intuition. We have imagination, a spiritual will, perception, reason, and memory. We learn very, very little about these higher faculties, and we learn even less about the universal or spiritual laws. And yet understanding these laws is crucial to your happiness and fulfillment in life, crucial to your success. As I said earlier, we have free will and can go against the law. We can go off the rails, and we can choose to explore all choices and all possibilities. And often, we go off the rails without even realizing it. We didn't intend to do so consciously, but we are in transgression of the laws of life in one way or another, and we don't understand why, but things just don't seem to be going our way. All of our actions and choices have consequences. The fact of having free will doesn't free us from those consequences. This we learn by painful experience. Things happen in life. Sometimes terrible things happen in life. Human history 
is a hodgepodge of beauty and barbarism, nobility and atrocity, wisdom and ignorance, courage and cowardice. None of us are free from experiences of pain, suffering and betrayal. The only difference is the scale and our way of navigating those experiences. So today we get to discover the law of forgiveness. You might not have thought about forgiveness as being a law, but indeed it is a spiritual law, a universal law. And the proof is that, for one, every religion in our human history and every spiritual tradition has taught forgiveness as a pillar of understanding. And for another thing, when we violate any universal law, whether it's of the material plane or of the spiritual plane, we pay a price of one kind or another. This is how we learn to get in harmony with the laws. And so it is with the law of forgiveness. If we're not yet in tune with this law, there will be a price to pay. And as the only thinker in your universe, you are the only one who can pay it. So what do we mean by paying a price? The first place we might tend to go is a mass belief in sin and punishment, guilt and shame. But we're going to look at this today from a more enlightened perspective. As part of the art and science of transformation, which is kundalini yoga, my spiritual teacher taught me about karma. Now, there are lots of misunderstandings around the nature of karma, but karma is just another word we use to describe our creations, our choices, and our results. All of our choices have consequences, and this is one of the teachings of karma. It's the law of cause and effect. But essential to the understanding of karma is that there is no such thing as good karma or bad karma. Karma is. Does that sound familiar? Energy is. God is. Karma is. It simply is. It's the sum total of all the energy we've created during this lifetime and millions of other experiences we've had in a form. There is no good karma or bad karma. There is simply karma that is resolved or aligned to the one source or God or infinite intelligence or whatever you choose to call it. And there is karma that is unresolved or not yet aligned to source frequency. There are extensive elaborations on karma in the ancient Vedas with different terms for the sum total of all our karma, instant karma, and the portion of karma we've chosen to work with and dissolve in this particular incarnation. Karma is inherited through the genetic line and created with every breath because we are creator beings and we have no choice but to create a reality. In other words, karma. You see the parallels? We really are talking about the same thing here. The paradigm we're currently working with is karmic in nature. We inherited it from our parents, grandparents, and so on. And our actions in life are also a product of the beliefs we absorb by osmosis from our environment in our first seven years of life. So just like the paradigm, karma is genetic and environmental, inherited through the bloodline, as well as the product of choices we make based on the conditioning we receive in our environment. In yoga, we speak of resolving unresolved karma. As we dissolve or resolve karma, we come into alignment with dharma. Dharma is a term meaning the path, the way, and it actually means the law, literally. So you see, we're talking about the same thing. Dharma is universal law. My teacher also taught me that the keys to resolving unresolved karma, in other words, dissolving the current paradigm of limitation and building a new paradigm that's in alignment with truth, 
The keys to that are surrender, unconditional love, and forgiveness. Forgiveness is one of the most powerful practices we can learn in order to dissolve that in us which is out of harmony with the law. Why is forgiveness so powerful? Well, as a regular cleansing practice, it raises our vibration. It improves our health. It enables us to become more successful and causes us to step into a greater and nobler version of ourselves, become our higher self. Ultimately, it's a bridge between the human part of us and the divine part of us. Jesus was once asked, How many times should we forgive our brother when he sins against us? Up to seven times? Now, seven times was making a great allowance because according to Jewish law at the time, you could be forgiven only up to three times. So seven was more than twice the legal requirement. And Jesus replied that we should forgive not seven times, but 70 times seven. In other words, ad infinitum. There is no limit or restriction on forgiveness. We should forgive again and again and again and again. Why? Because it's good for us. It feels good. Forgive constantly with every breath, all the little things and the big things. Forgiveness is more than something we need to actively practice with regard to a specific situation. It is that, but it is more properly a way of life. And as a way of life, forgiveness is a cleansing practice. It cleanses your energetic field and your body, and it feels good. It's a relief. It should be something we do as surely and unquestioningly as brushing our teeth or taking a shower. In other words, when forgiveness has become a way of life, it's no longer a question of do I forgive or do I not forgive? Forgiveness in ways large and small will always be the choice, even though with regard to those things that require us to become a much bigger person than we currently are, we may be endeavoring to forgive as a process. But there will never be a question, should I forgive this, any more than there's a question of whether I'm going to brush my teeth today. One definition of forgiveness that I love is to let go of completely, abandon. Once I've let go of it, it's done. It's over. I don't spend one second or one ounce of energy thinking about it anymore because I am an advancing person and I've got wonderful things I'm creating in my life. And so do you. You see why, once again, it's so important to be living with a vision for your life, a worthy ideal, because it gives you something you're truly in love with to put your energy toward, something that's bigger than your anger, bigger than your hatred, your resentment, your guilt. These emotions are extremely destructive and unproductive, and you don't want to be weighed down by them as you're learning to raise your vibration to match the life you would really love to live. There are things we spend time ruminating over and rehearsing, what we should have done or said, what we're going to do or say the next time we see that person and I'm really going to let him have it. (laughs) And this is a complete waste of your life force energy and it's unworthy of you. There are so many little superficial things we can just drop, just let go completely and abandon. And we'll experience a surge of energy as we simply drop them and move on. There are things that are harder to forgive. But when we realize that forgiveness is never for the other person, but for us, 
it shifts our perception. A Course in Miracles says, forgiveness is a shift in perception that removes a block in me to my awareness of love's presence. Love's presence is the power of all that is right here, right now. So the block I'm removing is in me. Whenever and wherever there's a lack of forgiveness, there's a block in me, and I'm the one who's less able to perceive and feel the presence of love all around me. I'm the one who's being deprived. My lack of forgiveness only affects and harms me. It blocks my awareness. Well, if you're like me, you're realizing that awareness is the most precious commodity that you can ever have. It's worth everything. And I don't want anything that blocks my awareness. Forgiveness is not condoning the hurtful or harmful behavior of others. It is not about allowing yourself to be a doormat in abusive situations. It takes a big person to forgive in very tough situations. But once you become that big person through forgiveness, you have access to your own spiritual power in a way you never had before. And no one can take that away from you. Forgiveness is an act of spiritual strength, not weakness. You become bigger when you forgive because you make yourself bigger. You open up a greater space within yourself for the flow of love and power when you forgive. Forgiveness is an act of self-love, a recognition that we are the only ones who will pay the price of our unforgiveness. Someone said that holding a grudge or resentment towards another is like taking poison each day and hoping the other person will die from it. The truth is we're slowly killing ourselves with our lack of forgiveness. It is now well known and well documented that the body and mind are one. In fact, the body is the extension of the mind, the projection of the mind. It outpictures the mind and is under the command of the mind at the deepest possible levels. At the cellular, molecular, and atomic levels, the subconscious or universal mind is within every cell of the body and expresses itself through the body. And yet the mentality of allopathic medicine is still to treat physical symptoms without treating the problem which is causing the symptoms. Why is that? The origin of anything is in the mind. It's thought. When we continuously engage in damaging or erratic thinking, it affects our physiology. It has to. Thought causes feeling. Feeling is the body's response to our thoughts. When you think thoughts, You're activating neural pathways in the brain, which trigger the release of hormones and all kinds of biochemical cocktails into the bloodstream. The hormones of stress are known to be incredibly destructive if we receive a steady stream of them. And most everybody is caught up in a stress response of the nervous system 70% of the time. No wonder we have such high rates of heart disease and cancer, and yet we still take the approach that we can cure these diseases by fighting them, first of all, fighting never cures anything, and fighting them with drugs. Everything has its cause and origin in the mind, in our thinking. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't address things with some of the tools that allopathic medicine has brought us, but we mustn't use that approach alone when everything has its cause and its origin in the mind to leave that out. Well, it's unconscionable. 
Studies of the chemical analysis of perspiration have shown that science can now prove what the yogis already knew. Our negative emotions have destructive power. When samples are taken of perspiration, while someone generates thoughts which engender negative emotions, such as anger, resentment, guilt, fear, hatred, or jealousy, it has a strong acid component. Everyone knows that acid is corrosive and eats away at whatever it's applied to. The old dictum, mens sana in corpore sano, took on a deeper meaning for me when I began to understand the relationship between mind and body. That's a Latin phrase, meaning a healthy mind in a healthy body. I've always heard it in the context of the importance of physical and mental fitness or psychological well-being. But actually, mens sana precedes corpore sano. A healthy mind is a prerequisite for a healthy body. We think of a healthy mind as one free from psychological illness. But I wonder if we might not realize that some very common thinking we all fall into should be categorized as mental dis-ease. Worry and doubt are two very common mental states that are debilitating and should be treated like the diseases that they are. Worry and doubt lead to fear in the subconscious mind. That fear is expressed through the body as anxiety. Anxiety is extremely destructive. The antidote to worry and doubt is understanding. We only worry and doubt if we lack understanding of the laws of life. Now think about that carefully. We only worry and doubt because of ignorance. If we truly understand the laws of life and the process by which thoughts become things, we begin to think accordingly and only think thoughts that will produce what we want to create in our life and how we want to feel. We will never think anything in opposition to what we want to create. And yet I know of very few people who are not prey to worry and doubt to some degree. This is a mental disease which is rampant. Now, as I said, the antidote is understanding, and understanding can only be gained by study. The state of understanding produces a powerful state called faith, which is expressed in the body as well-being. This is the creative process, whereas thoughts of worry and doubt leading to fear and anxiety generate a cycle of destruction and dissolution. That's why it's said that the wages of sin is death. Think about that. The body breaks down. We kill ourselves when we live out of harmony with the law. Let's look at that loaded word, sin. What is sin? Well, sin is simply transgression of the law. When we transgress or violate the law, what's happening is we're putting ourselves in a vibration that doesn't support our expansion. Spirit is always for expansion and fuller expression. So when we put ourselves in a vibration that is contractive and diminishes our life force, we transgress the law of life. That is the price we pay for wrong thinking, in quotes. In other words, when our thinking is not in harmony with the law. This is true mental disease, and it's far more common than people realize. Many years ago, a man I had been seeing for several months and was madly in love with 
invited me to visit him while he was far away directing a TV show. So at his insistence, I flew across the country to spend a week with him. I landed at LAX in the dark and a pounding rainstorm and arrived bedraggled and dripping at his apartment, but he wasn't there. And I had no way to get in touch with him. This was in the days before cell phones. So I guess I just waited outside his door with my suitcases until he got back. It was an inauspicious beginning to an uncomfortable week where I was mostly on my own while he was out working. And when he got home, he was totally awkward with me. It was the opposite of all the experiences of closeness that we had shared up until then. I felt untethered and insecure. The night before my departure, he took me out for a fancy dinner and basically dumped me. I was so traumatized and humiliated by the experience that I spent the whole night awake next to him as I had nowhere else to go, desperately alternating between wanting to hurt him or hurt myself, which I did by beating my head against the wall. As morning came, the grief gave way to a smoldering rage. I determined to kill him in my mind and spent the entire flight back to New York mentally repeating, I hate you, first name, last name. I hate you. I hate you. I'm not exaggerating. I did it for hours. Then I called up all my girlfriends for an emergency meeting at a diner where I sobbed out the whole story and where they, out of love, loyalty, and misguided solidarity, reinforced my belief that he was the lowest of the low, obviously a total jerk who deserved nothing but my hatred, disdain, and all the venom that I could direct at him. Talk about, oh my God, unhealthy thinking. When I think back to that, I'm just like, it's like, who was that person? It's not surprising that I was barely getting by during that period in every area of life. I was truly living in ignorance of the law, or I would never have damaged myself with such poisonous thinking. Then again, I had low self-esteem, so it makes total sense that I did. Now I can look back with compassion on myself at that time and on this man who, despite the outward appearance of success, had unbeknownst to me been hiding a substance addiction and was filled with shame. Had I understood him as the mirror he was for me at the time, I might have looked at my own pattern of hiding shame and low self-esteem with a veneer of confidence and competence. He really was a mirror for me. But I was caught up in cycles of suffering and looking to escape pain, which paradoxically only leads to more pain. Reactivity was the only way I knew. My next move was to marry a good and decent man who I knew would not hurt me. But I hurt him. And that's another story. Nothing can happen outside the circle of God's grace, the perfect order and harmony with which this universe operates. When we sin by transgressing the laws of creation, which support increase of life for all, we're going to find out about it one way or another. Interestingly, the Hebrew word for sin is chet, and it's a term from archery. It means to miss the mark. I just love that. It's not punitive, right? You just missed the mark. You didn't hit the bullseye. It's okay. Try again. 
If you had a religious upbringing, you most likely have inherited a boatload of guilt and shame along with it. And frankly, even if you didn't have a religious upbringing, you're carrying around a lot of guilt and shame. Why? Because it's the water we've all been swimming in for the last 2,000 years. We are emerging from a deep slumber of unconsciousness right now, which is why it's such an interesting time to be alive. The following may be a radical idea for you to consider, but I encourage you to do so. You do not need to be forgiven by God or the universe. You do not need to earn divine favor. You are divine right now. Forgiveness is necessary on the human plane. It helps us to elevate ourselves. It makes a bridge between us and our higher nature, our higher self, our divine self. That is what reconciliation is. Reconciliation is the realignment with truth. It's getting in harmony with the law and with your true nature, which is divine. Right now, we are God-made flesh, spiritual beings having a human experience. And with the human experience comes some pretty heavy curriculum. That's what we need forgiveness for, for one another and for ourselves as we learn to become our higher selves. We're going to fall down and make mistakes. We will miss the mark. But you have nothing to be ashamed of, and there is nothing wrong with you. So get it right out of your head that you have to atone for something to the Almighty, as if the Almighty could be offended. The Almighty is pure, unconditional love. These old beliefs in sin, guilt, shame, and punishment come from the old paradigm which is passing away, now in its final death throes. The emotional explosions that we've been seeing in recent weeks and months bear witness to that. The truth is that divine perfection is your true nature, your true name. You can never be any more perfect than you already are in your essential nature. What we are healing within ourselves is the gap between our self-image and our true nature. Our self-image is formed by our paradigm. Many people have a very poor self-image because they do not understand their true nature. We can break this down in a very simple way. We live on three planes simultaneously. We are spirit. We have an intellect and we live in a body. Each of these states has a frequency, a rate of vibration, and corresponding density. Solid things vibrate more slowly than things that aren't solid. Think of the substance we call water. In its densest state, we call it ice. And as we add heat to it, it becomes water, then steam, and then disappears into the air. We just changed its vibration. So you see, we are living on multiple levels of frequency at once. There's the frequency of your spirit, the frequency of your thoughts and feelings, and the frequency of your corporeal self or your body. We tend to be hyper-focused on the body because it's tangible. We can't see the mind. Most people don't see spirit. So we tend to believe that we're in this body and that we are this body walking around with a name and a story and that's it. But all the levels of our being are present simultaneously. 
As you become aware of your intellectual level, your capacity to think, and your higher mental faculties, as you come to understand the law, you gain more access to the spiritual level of your being, which is your true nature. Everything in the universe works from a higher potential to a lower potential. For example, when we harness the power of electricity, we have to step it down through a series of transformers to be able to use it. We have to bring it to a lower potential so that it doesn't blow all the wiring in the house. Well, your infinite nature functions in much the same way. It is stepped down through layers of density into its final form of flesh. We are spirit made flesh. The work of raising our awareness is really about getting our self-image to be congruent with this truth. Instead of seeing ourselves as a powerless bag of bones in a random and chaotic universe, praying to get safely from birth to death. We are infinite creative beings here to manifest the life which is a unique co-creative expression of our spiritual essence by doing whatever it is we love to do. It is the infinite which seeks to experience the life you're dreaming of. And you're doubting you can have it because your self-image is off. We do not see ourselves clearly and our self-esteem reflects our paradigm and our level of awareness. Imagine billions of human beings walking around in this state of ignorance, misunderstanding all they see. This is why forgiveness is required on the human plane. Forgive everything. Whatever the situation, it is what it is. Harvest the best and forgive all the rest. We're at a critical point in our collective history now. Raymond Holywell said that crucial things in life call for great human qualities. Will we be big enough to meet the demands of the day? I believe we will at this evolutionary moment in human history, and forgiveness has a major part to play. Here's a process that puts us in harmony with the great good in the universe that is seeking always to express itself through us. This will teach you to weed your mind of unhealthy thoughts. The mind is like a garden that will grow anything you plant. Thoughts are seeds. Some of those thoughts are weeds and some are beautiful flowers. Pull out the weeds and don't plant any more of those seeds. When old thoughts come up, immediately turn to new thoughts. The law of forgiveness shifts our thoughts away from what's missing or wrong to what's here and good. You've got all kinds of ideas in your mind that were planted there a long time ago when you were growing up. Some of these thoughts came from your family of origin. Some came from your teachers, your friends, or the media. Some of the thoughts are benign, and some of them are rather unhealthy. So these unhealthy thoughts are like weeds. They won't just go away if you ignore them. In fact, they will grow and reseed and multiply and take over all the good stuff in your mind unless you make an effort to remove them. You see, until you're aware of them, they're operating unconsciously. They're part of your paradigm and they're creating your reality. So it will take some work to weed these unhealthy thoughts from your mind. So first you need to understand that they're there. Realize that if there's a result or a behavior pattern that you are not pleased with, it is because there's an idea in your subconscious mind that's producing that. Recognize the thoughts that aren't serving you. Then plant an idea that's essentially the opposite of the one that's causing your problem. 
and examine the results that you're having in one of the areas of your life, be it love and relationships or vocation or health and well-being or time and money freedom. What are you unsatisfied with and why? What thoughts do you think that drive the behavior that drives the bad results you're getting? Write these thoughts down and then write a sentence that's essentially the opposite of that thought. For example, I'm not good with money might be a thought that is rumbling around in your head, right? And it's been there so long, you don't even examine it. You just assume that it's true. Well, that's not a healthy thought. It's a limitation. You can plant a new thought there. I'm brilliant when it comes to money. So maybe you don't believe it at first, but that's okay. Repeat it often enough and it will become true. So that's your exercise is to identify and write down the thoughts that are creating results that you are less than pleased with in your life. And once you write those thoughts down, then write a thought that's the opposite of that unhealthy thought. So replace that seed that produces a weed, replace, pull it out and replace it with a beautiful flower. Make sure you download the PDF worksheet that goes with this process. It's in your show notes and have a good time with this exercise. Let me know how you go and I'll see you next time. Thank you for joining me in the grace space where you're always in the right place. If you love this podcast, I invite you to subscribe to it and submit a review if you feel called to do so. Also, be sure to sign up for my newsletter right here. I look forward to spending this time with you again next week. Meanwhile, I send you love and blessings. Bye for now.